so excited to see each of you. But before we get going, I do want to say thank you, because um, there are people that come out early to set up, not just these musicians, but volunteers who come and set up. There's, we got uh, my wife Debbie and Cam back in the kids area, and just a, a group of people that come out and set up. So could we do this? Could we, with our hands, give thanks to all those who do that? I don't... And I will say this, um, I want to talk to you today about what is a church? And um, I'm going to go ahead and I just want to say this. We don't think a church is a place that you come to where people perform for us. That's that's not what this is about. Um, I remember as a young pastor, you know, uh, it was always encouraging when someone would come up and they would, you know, hey, that was a great sermon. Or, you know, they would come up to a, a worship leader and go, man, that was a great song. And those things are all very meaningful. But I don't think the purpose that we gather is to judge the performance of someone else. I don't, I don't think that's why we, we, we come together at all. In fact, I think that's unhealthy for you and it's unhealthy for me. Now, by the way, those of us who are a part of uh, leading services and arranging, getting together and singing songs and, and teaching out of the Bible, we have a special role that we have to do. So I, I, I want you to know, I, I have a responsibility that I'm to guide you in this. But I just want to start off by saying this, that this is about what is happening deep within each of our hearts as human beings. That's why we gather. And what matters more is in what way is God's life present to you that's healing, that's guiding that's reminding you that you're loved, that's filling you with hope, um, that's a very central reason why we gather. So please, if, if something is meaningful to you, a song or a sermon or a prayer or something, it's, by, by all means, say thank you for doing that, but not without looking deep within and going, I wonder how that's changing my heart. And I wonder what that is moving me toward and, and into. Um, I gotta grab my Bible. That's where I would to start this morning is uh, in some words from Jesus on what is a church and what are we up to when we come together here in a place like this? What are we trying to do in becoming a church? And this morning, I want to look out of the very first story in the Bible of the very first church out of the book of Acts. But before we get there, um, I want to read some words of Jesus that have been very central to a lot of us. Uh, the leaders of this church and what we hope a church can be. And these words have deeply um, shaped how we are working at what we're doing when when we gather here. So I want to share these to you. But the goal of the Christian life is this. It's that each of you would live more and more fully. Um, When we come to a place like this, it should be something that fills us with this energy, with this Um, inspiration to want to live more fully and be everything that we were made to be. So, uh, and if that's not happening in this place, that's okay. Find the place that it's happening because we're all wired differently and there are beautiful places where that could come to life in us. But that, this is the goal of the Christian life. It's to live. And that is very, very central. It isn't just to come to a place and, you know, just to listen or just to go, wow, that was great. It's, am I living more of what I was made to live? And is this helping us do that? Now, here's 
the thing that is so surprising to me, of all the things that church has become, culture in our world, I think in a lot of ways it's, it's forgotten these words of Jesus that I, I want to uh, read to you because the, by Jesus' own words, he's inviting us to practice, to live a certain way, not just to have these mental assents to beliefs, but in what ways are we living life? In what ways are we practicing the words of Jesus? Now listen to these because... Um, if you go to most church websites and, um, you know, we always have our list of beliefs, things that, the statements of the things that we believe, which are important. But the Christian life is more than just these statements of, of what we believe. Um, and, and, and we get that from Jesus. We, we get that that's just one part of it, but there's something that is even grander. And it's these lives that we're living This is what Jesus invites us to practice. So this is at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 8, verse 24. It says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So the person who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and against the house, yet it did not fall. Because it had its foundation on the rock. Now listen to this. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the, storm, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So these very words of Jesus um, are inviting us to what this is really about is what are we hearing from these words? And how do we put them into practice? That's what this is about. So when someone asks me, um, what do I believe? Um, How much time do you have? Because we could spend months and years me telling you that. But how about this? Can I tell you about how I live? How about if you want to know what I believe, look at my life. Go to my Facebook. (laughs) Um, You know, uh, look at people that are my friends. I think we have to get back to, if you really want to know what we believe, then look at our lives. Because they will show us clearly what it is that we believe. Both the good and the bad. I want to tell you a story. When I was a young man, where I first learned this. um, When I was about 13 or 14, uh, I was really getting accurate with my throwing arm. And I played quarterback since I was a little boy. And I loved um, anything that I could set up a target and throw something at, whether it was a rock, a baseball, a football. Um, I was always outside trying to hit something, you know, with a ball. <laughs> and it was always about, you know, getting my aim down. And, and I just loved that. Well, when I was 13 or 14, the older kids in the neighborhood, when we would do pickup football, they started going, we want George to be our quarterback. And I was starting to feel really good about because these older kids, you know, that on a, any, a normal day wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. They wanted me to be their quarterback on their team. And so, uh, you know, I was feeling really good about that for a while. And then um, I'll never forget this one day. Uh, I must have been 13 or 14. We were done playing. And um, there was this intellectually disabled friend of mine in the neighborhood that was much older than me that him and I had become friends and it seemed like most of the other kids, um, you know, made fun of him. And for some reason, I just, in my heart, I, I loved this, this young man. And 
and we became friends. And I got teased a little bit by it. But I'll never forget on this day when all these older kids in the neighborhood are seeing me, one of them goes, hey, George, you think you could hit him with the football when he comes up the road? I go, yeah, yeah, I, I have pretty good aim. I could do that. And it's something in my heart was like, that, that's not you. <laughs> and yet all these boys were, were celebrating me. And so comes, he comes up the road. So what George do? You guys are all think I'm horrible. From about 25, 30 yards away, I take aim and I launch a football <laughs> and knock them off his bike. And I'll never forget what I felt in that moment. If you were to ask me what I believe, I believed in loving my neighbor. But I wasn't believing by loving my neighbor. There's a difference. There's a difference in believing in and believing by. And I know I was a young heart, but something within me went, that is horribly wrong. And you have missed it. He got up on his bike crying and took off running. And I was being celebrated, getting high fives, but something in my heart was not right at all. And I think I learned in this moment that the Christian life, to practice the words of Jesus, really have to do with how we practice them. And after everyone left, I was sitting outside feeling horrible about myself, literally in tears, because that is not who I am. And he came uh, riding up the road and I started walking out to him. He was actually scared to come up to me. And I got out there and he goes, I thought you were my friend. And literally with tears in my eyes, I am your friend. I will never, ever do that to you again. But in that moment, something changed in my heart. And it was like, either I'm going to believe in these words or I'm going to practice them. Now, there was, you know, there was other opportunities where I didn't get it right and there were some times that I did. But that was a marked moment for me. So, let me ask you, do you just believe in something? Or are you to believe by the way that you live your life? Because that's what we're being invited to by Jesus. And that's what a place like this should inspire us to do. I want to show you, you, you all are much more intelligent than you think. So I'm going to take you to seminary for just a moment, okay? How many want to go to seminary? None of you. Wonderful. <laughs> Scott, my friend over here, wants to go to seminary. I think you all can handle this. Anyone know Latin? Anyone want to take a stab on what that phrase says? Come on. Anyone? Anyone want to take a stab? No? Okay. Good. Karen, here's the translation of that Latin phrase. Life is more important than doctrine. Life is more important than doctrine. Um, St. Francis of Assisi in around the 13th, very early in the 13th century, um, began to teach this. That, and if you, you, read the, you read the scriptures and read, read who Jesus is most challenging to and more, most frustrated by is people who believe in something but don't believe by. And in the way that they believe, they're actually hurtful to themselves or they're hurtful to others. So, St. Francis of Assisi, he began to teach this, the next one, uh, that there is orthodoxy, which is correct beliefs, which that is a part of this thing that we do together. Um, but there's also orthopraxy, and it's the right practice. I think if you read the scriptures, if you read the gospels, Jesus very often was more orthopraxy about right practice. It was like all, all these things that 
believe? How do you practice them? And how do they affect the human beings that you believe these things toward, or even toward yourself? So I want to say this, that for us, um, yes, we're a, a variety of people in here who come from different backgrounds, different traditions, and we probably have all these different beliefs. But let's, let's make orthopraxy the right practice. And let's learn from each other. Let's make that our goal. And let's be open to listen to one another. So maybe you heard, uh, maybe you heard this before. Uh, uh, St. Francis, he would say, preach the gospel at all times, but when absolutely necessary... What? Don't use words. Or, or, I'm sorry, when absolutely necessary, use words. So in other words, preach the gospel by how you live. But when it's absolutely necessary, use words. How many of us have experienced, I know I have, but how many of us have experienced a way of faith or a way of practicing Christianity, which is a lot of words, and um, maybe not as a much practice? So for St. Francis, it was live the gospel rather than just mere verbal beliefs. So that's what we're trying to do here. And I think that's what it means to be a church. Now, let's go to Acts. And I just want to show you a couple things in here because this is the story of the early church. And this is a group of people who have just been with Jesus and are trying to uh, carry the work of Jesus forward in the world. Like Jesus does this beautiful, inspiring thing with people and he's healing people, healing the world around them and things are changing. The world seems very out of control and very violent, and these people have been deeply impacted by the presence and spending time with Jesus, and now he's gone, and they're trying to carry on this work. And by the way, in this book, 68 times the name of Jesus comes up in the book of Acts, because it's these people, they're trying to rally around the work of Jesus and see this continue on in the world. And so a church is this. A church is a place where the work of Jesus is expanding in the world. Not just through someone like me preaching the message, but how about through us living the message and the ways that we live our lives, the way we take these words of Jesus and we put them into practice and we're expanding this work in the world. That's what it actually means to be a church. So, um, Paul, right here, he's, he's coming to these people in Athens, and this is the cultural, intellectual center of the world. How many have heard of people like um, Socrates and Plato? This is where they come from, all right? And this is the place where all the most brilliant ideas are um, shared, and they're worked out. And um, they hear Paul talking about this resurrection of this Jesus, and they invite him to this place. And these are important people. You don't get invited unless there's some substance to what you've been talking about. There's some substance to what you've been teaching. So they invite Paul to this place and they go, tell us about this resurrection of Jesus. And they began to put it to the test. So he began to talk to them. Now, it says in here, right as he begins to speak to them, he looks around, he's waiting on on, on uh, being able to speak to these people. And it says he's greatly distressed by the idols that he sees. They have all these idols that they worship and they bow down to, and he's distressed by it. When's the last time you heard the word idol? I'm outside of American idol, right? Um, when's the last time, maybe that's not a meaningful word to you, but for just a moment today, I, I want to see if maybe that idol can, can find our hearts 
in a way. I want to show you something. Look, we put up that graph, Karen. This is a graph, and I've been watching and reading like human behavior over the pandemic. It's fascinating. Like all the different ways that we deal with the struggle of life we're in. And this is a particular graph of one of those behaviors. And these, these behaviors, it's almost like when, when human beings are frustrated with the lives they're living, they actually stop living and they turn to these things that could be um, fairly harmless to things that are very harmful to them. And so I've been studying all these different ways that human behavior is, is affecting us. Anyone want to take a guess at what that graph is? Oh, by the way, let me show you this. From right here, this is the start of the pandemic. This is March of 2020. Um, come on, help me out here. Anyone want to take a guess on what they think that is? No one wants to take a guess. What's that? Amazon. Am that's a good one. The Amazon's market uh, curve over the pandemic. That's good, but that's not it. That was, that was a good guess. Um, what? Drinking? You know what? I have seen graphs to drinking and, and look very similar to that, but it is not that. Um, and by the way, it's, it's really sobering if you, if you want to do a search on the internet of some of these, because they all look very much like this. And um, it's, it's scary. And anyone else? One, I'll give one last person, maybe see if someone can get it. What do you think, Tim? Retail spending? No, no. That is online sports gambling. Is that crazy or what? And by the way, it just became legal back in 2019, but it begins to go off the chart. Now listen, here, I'm not preaching against gambling here today. I'm, I love friendly wagers and I've been teasing people about the Titans game. And so th that's not what this is about. But here's what I just want us to see. There are things that we begin to engage with and put trust in, whether it's a way of escape or whether it's, um, you know, we're trying to numb ourselves in some way. We go to these things that we engage in and we begin to trust in that in a lot of ways become very harmful. And maybe some of us, if it's, if it's not you, you, maybe you know somebody in your life that's been harmed by one of these things that have just gone up and to the right. And it is destructive. Friends, an idol is this. An idol is anything that we escape to or anything that we put our trust in that can't deliver on what it promises. That's an idol. And I'll be honest, I have those in my life. So none of us are so spiritual that we don't have them. But I think one of the most unspiritual things that you could do is not pay attention so I think a church is a place perhaps where maybe we talk about this and we wrestle with what are those things that we're escaping to or what are the things that we're putting our trust in that honestly we know deep down they're not delivering. So that's what Paul is dealing with when he's deeply distressed. It's not because he's looking for something to preach against. He's like, oh my gosh, like can this thing really deliver? So let me just show you this real quick because... Um, how does Paul handle this? Because this is specific to how I think a church shows up in the world. And a church is not a building. It's not a place you come to. It's, it's me and you. So how do we respond to a world around us when this is happening all around us? The first thing is to look at ourselves. 
Is there something, is there an idol that we're trusting? Is there a thing that we're escaping to that we know is harmful? Can we deal with that? And can we find support and help and find a way through? That's what a church is. A church should not judge us in that moment. A church should come alongside of us and go, hey, are you seeing how unhealthy that is? And can we walk together in this? Because there's, there's a better way to live. There's a better way to be human. So I'll walk with you in this. I'm not going to judge you. But you've got to face this. Yeah, that's, that's what it means. So how does Paul handle this when he encounters this? Does he throw Bible scriptures at them, tell them how wrong they are? No, that isn't what he does. Um, does he go, hey, Greece used to be a Christian nation, and we are somehow, we're going to get back to that. No, he doesn't do that either. And I love his approach. I'm just going to read it to you. I'll just have a few comments uh, as we close here. But here is Paul's response to his distress of these idols that he sees in the world around him. And I think we can learn from this and how we can respond to the world around us. Paul then stood up in the meeting of Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. That's, that's how he opens up his talk to them. And by the way, every way you are religious is a very fine way of seeing, I see all your idols and where all your trust is going. I, I've seen it. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. In other words, they have this statue that they worship, but they don't know who the God is. And Paul goes, let me tell you about this unknown God that you worship. I just love it. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands not served by human hands, and he is um, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. This is the unknown God that you're worshiping. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places they should live. Now listen to this. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find, though that he is not far from any one of us, for it's in him that we live and move and have our being. If there's anything I could remind you of, is no matter where you find yourself today, that it is in the God who loves you that you live and move and have your being. If you could just start there, you're going to make it. You're going to get there. That's who holds you. That's who gives you life. And he says, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So here is Paul's response. People. And it's what I try to be as a pastor. It's what I'd like to try to be, invite people who claim to be followers of Jesus and claim together in places that we call a church. I think it's the way that we could best help heal the world and heal our friends and our family members around it. It's that we can be more nuanced and how we deal with the idols and the struggle and the mess of the world around us. We don't have to preach against it. We don't have to uh, you know, tear it all down and tell them how wrong it is. What if we started, was there one place where we can honestly look at someone's life and see that there's a desire for God? Or where there's this impulse? Because we, all human beings want to be okay. We all want that. 
And we have different ways that we go about it. But what if we started there and said, that is what it means to live in God and to breathe and be in God. It's that impulse of like, we want to be okay. So what can we trust in that would help us be okay? So Paul, what he does, he sees this earnest desire and seeking in this group of people for the living God, and he starts there. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't judge them. He says, oh, yeah, that unknown God, let me tell you about him. And by the way, when he says we are his offspring, you know who he's quoting here? He's quoting a poet from their culture, not from Christianity, not from Jewish culture, from Greek mythology. He's quoting from their poet who who is writing these words about Zeus, all right? He says, we are his offspring. And he goes, yes, amen, absolutely, we are. I find that absolutely fascinating because there is this impulse in me, and there was as a young pastor, and maybe for some of you as, as Christians, just to tell people how wrong they are. Instead of where might we join them? Where might we see a sincere desire for God and a seeking for God and we can help them take that next step? What is a church? This is what I want to leave you with. It is people who are sensitive to the idols in their world. The ones we bow down to, we have to start with us. The ones we bow down to, not the world around us. The ones we bow down to. And the ones destroying the people we love. What's the church? It is people who are discerning where in the midst of all the idolatry is there earnest seeking for God. And where in the midst of those misplaced trust is there something we can celebrate and affirm to help people reach out to the God who made them and loves them? To me, that's what a church is.